Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Um, today we're going to be in John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. Now, as I look at what's going around on locally, nationally, even internationally, there are three, three topics that keep coming up again and again. We have racial tension, justice, and oppression. And my fundamental question as I ponder these things is, what does God have to say about these things? Now, what's interesting is you know that the practice of our church is to just preach through books of the Bible. That's the regular thing we do. And I am just surprised and thankful that as I read God's word, I see that God does have things to say about what is going on today. And so we come to the text, and let's be honest, we come to the text not with empty slates, but with our minds clouded and burdened by what is going on. So let's go to the text and ask the questions that are on our mind. What does God have to say about these things? Now, John 12, 20, it says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servants also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. Your, your word is eternal. It is matchless. It is glorious. It is applicable. So Holy Spirit, open up our eyes. Would you speak to us through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's, let's get it. All right, so the first thing that we got to notice, it says, it says, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is a religious festival. And they were having, it says, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, at first glance, you're like, oh, that's cool. Somebody wants to see Jesus. Praise God. But what I want you to understand from the context of, of the biblical text in that time is that there are tensions that existed between the Jews, the people that Jesus came from between the Jews and the Greeks, those who are not Jews, those who had a, a different culture, a different uh, ethnic history. See, Greek culture had oppressed the Jews for years. For years. 
Greek culture. First Alexander the Great, and then, then his, uh, whoever was, uh, got to the kingdom after him, and then finally Rome. They all had this similar Greek culture, and they all had oppressed the Jewish people. So Jews did not always get along so well with Greeks because of the historic tension and the strife that had existed. Now, what's interesting is that we understand that that tensions around race, around oppression, around culture, man, they shape even everyday interactions. We see these tensions today. And so the question is, what do we do about it? Now, I want to point a couple things out about how the Greeks approached Philip, the Jew. The first thing they said is they said, sir, sir, we want to see Jesus. Listen, they weren't ignorant of the racial tension. If they wanted to come and they understood there was some strife that could have been there, they approached Philip with honor. This is important that those who are different than us, those who have different cultures than us, those who have different beliefs than us, we would come to them and we would approach them with honor. Not only would we honor them as people, we would approach ethnic tension with humility. In the, in the cultural dynamic, Certainly the Greeks would have had more power because their, their culture was the dominant one. But he approached Philip with humility. Now here's something also I want you to understand. I, I feel like I need to hammer that point some more. When we are, are facing tensions, our, our, our emotions are running high. There is anger, frustration, and confusion. But beloved, when we deal with what is the reality of our situation, we must not ignore the fruit of the Spirit. Speak and speak about the true things, but remember, the the tone and the fruit by which we speak these things matter as well. Now, what's interesting is among all the disciples, these Greeks approached Philip. Now, Philip, that was, a, that was a Greek name. He was a Jew, but he had a Greek name. And because he was from Bethsaida, he had a lot of Greek neighbors. So, so Philip was a Jew that had been around Greek culture. He could code switch, if you will. He, he understood something about Jewish culture, and he understood something about Greek culture. Culture, listen, we need people to be bridge builders. If you have this, this uh, ability to understand various cultures, then one of the things that the Lord has called you to do is to take what you have over here and take what you have over here and try to bring some unity. Now, I want to point out that Philip had a dilemma. I want you to just, just think about this. You're walking down the street. Somebody says, hey, I want to know about Jesus. Now, listen, sometimes you might be afraid because you don't know what to say, but Philip had been with Jesus for three years, so that wasn't the issue. Hey, I want to know about Jesus. And Philip's like, oh, let me go talk to Andrew. That's so, like, think about that. Somebody came up to him to tell me about Jesus, and he had a dilemma. He, he had to question himself a little bit. What, what is going on? Uh, Philip didn't know what to do. 
this Greek, this cultural other said, take me to Jesus. Maybe Philip is thinking, can I take the one who represents the oppressor to Jesus? Can he be near Jesus? Maybe before I take him to Jesus, I should talk to him about the struggle. Should I talk with him about, about the struggle before I, I take him to Jesus? Th- this, is, this is some real tension that's going on. And so he went to his, his, his brother, this other disciple, and he's like, yo, what are we going to do? I, I, I'm, I'm a bit confused. And what I love is, is it says, he says, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip said, well, let's just go tell Jesus. Let's go walk to Jesus. Let's go together to Jesus. Listen, we just need to take him to Jesus and see what he says. So we take our tensions to the Lord, and we take our tensions to his word. This is so important to understand that in in a time where we don't know what to do and where there's all these various opinions about what we should do when we are approached with situations that we're like, ah, we go, well, what, what does God say? What does his word say? How do we go to him together? Beloved, I need to sit at the feet of the teacher so that I would have the right words to say. So, the Jews and the Greeks go to Jesus, having tensions, having questions, potentially having some conflict, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, what should we do? In verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now listen, the Greeks and the Jews, the Philips, Philip and Andrew and his, and his uh, uh, Greek counterparts, they probably had a lot of different questions, a lot of dilemmas, some confusion. They came to Jesus, and Jesus points to his glorification. Now what you need to understand about the book of John when it talks about his glorification, it is talking about his crucifixion. He says, you got questions, you got stressors, you are unsure what to do. Well, let me tell you about this cross. I'm not sure that's the answer that they were looking for. In fact, I know, I know that is not the answer that they were looking for. They both came when they wanted to see some fruit. They wanted to see some good works. They wanted to see some change. They wanted to see something. And Jesus is saying, the thing that you want to see is brought about by my death. Jesus is saying, you want progress? Look to me. You want things corrected? Look to me. You want unity? Look to me. Not only does Jesus say to them, look to the cross. He says, follow me. Jews and Greeks, black and white, Asian, Indian, all of of y'all, look to me. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father honors him. Jesus says a couple things. The first thing he says, first both of you must see what is eternal. He didn't start addressing the temporal things first. He said both of you must see what is eternal. We die 
to whatever in us is not of him as we look towards eternal life. Maybe for them, maybe the Greeks had some cultural superiority. And Jesus says, you come to me, you, you come to me in repentance and faith and you lay down that cultural superiority. Maybe, maybe Philip and Andrew had some anger, some frustration, some bitterness. And Jesus says, when you come to me, you lay down those things because I've come to grant you eternal life, forgiveness, change. Not only that, though, we follow the pattern of Jesus for this life right now. Go back to look at verse 26. Anybody serves me. He must follow me. He's not talking about sometime in the future. He's talking about now. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. I love this. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father honors him. As we follow the pattern of Jesus for this life right now. I can hear him saying, you want power? You use it to serve. Jesus, the one with the power over all creation, And Philippians 2, it says that he laid down his rights in order to serve. You got some bitterness? Jesus is saying, give it to me. I will bring healing to your heart. I certainly care about justice. Look at the cross. If you ever question what the Lord feels about injustice, I want you to look at the wounds and the nails in Jesus. You want freedom? Entrust yourself to me. We follow this this pattern of Jesus in the here and now. And it is one of service. It is one of love. It is one of speaking the truth. But he, beloved, he says, where I am, my servant will be also. And so I think back to the Gospels and I'm like, where was Jesus? What was he doing? He was speaking true things. He was with the hurt and the needy. He laid down his privileges in order to love and serve us. See, these are the ones that the Father honors. Listen, the way of the cross will offend. The way of self-sacrificial service will offend. The way of forgiveness will offend. The way of speaking the truth will offend. Listen, beloved, if we follow Jesus, somebody is going to get offended, and probably people on everybody, everybody's side is going to get offended. But the way of the cross is the way and the path of glory. And what I love about the cross is that the cross turns everything on its head. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, it says, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What he's saying is everybody dies to something when they come to Jesus. He says the Jews want power. They say, show me a sign, Jesus. Give me a bunch of miracles, Jesus. Overthrow the government, Jesus. The Greeks want wisdom. Say, say some things that sound so good that I can retweet it. 
Jesus, why don't you dominate my enemies with your words? Show how wise you are. And when the Jews wanted power and the Greeks wanted wisdom, God gave the cross. The power of God is shown through the death of Jesus. Beloved, he defeats sin. What would oppress us on the inside? And he defeats Satan. The one who would deceive and enslave us on the outside. And not only that, he shows this power this power of sacrificial love that brings about change. Beloved, his cross accomplishes something powerful and then it demonstrates what God's power looks like in the here and now. This love that is self-sacrificial. The wisdom of God is shown through the death of Jesus. He demonstrates God's attitude towards evil. Listen, The scripture is full of words about how God hates evil, how he hates injustice, how he he hates oppression. But the clearest picture, the clearest persuasion of how God feels about evil is the fact that God would allow his only and beloved son to die as a result of evil. The ugliness of the cross is the ugliness of the evil that we see. And he sets in motion on the cross the good that changes not only individuals, but it changes the world. So the question that we all have to ask is what are the things that we will have to die to as we come to Jesus and the cross? Now, beloved, Jesus has this path and this way that he says is good, right, and true, and produces fruit. So how then do we walk in the path of the cross? I've got a couple of um, things I want to present to you that are pertinent to right now. And what I'll say is the first thing we do to walk the path of the cross is we speak what is true. We speak what is true. You need to remember, <laughs> Jesus was murdered And he did not have a sword. What he was murdered over was because of the words that he said and that his words were so powerful that the governing elite would say we cannot stand that. And so the way to follow Jesus is to speak the truth. That means that we go back to the text of Scripture and say we look at what is going on and we say, what does God say about this? The first thing I want to present to you is that we need to be very clear on the fact that everybody was made in God's image. This is, the issue we see right now is that we do not see people as equally valuable. I know that we might say that, but when we have people dying, people being murdered, people abusing power, This goes back to a fundamental misunderstanding that a person's value is not found in what they have done. It is not found in their cultural heritage. It is not found in their skin color. A person's value comes from the fact that they were made in the image of God. Now, all these things have made me have to study. 
I've been reading books from the past, and I'm reading this book by by Martin Luther King Jr., and and I want you to understand that this this war of languages that we have around the, the, the phrase Black Lives Matter, I want you to understand that there was a war of languages in his day, and it was the phrase Black Power. Now, Martin Luther King, he, he, the younger people in the generation started saying black power because they felt powerless. And Martin Luther King said, before I can analyze and, and speak about the statement, I need to understand the reason why they're saying the statement. And he began to say the reason that they are saying the statement is because they feel that they don't have dignity. So, beloved, we speak about everybody's dignity and worth and particularly about the ones who do not feel that they have dignity and worth. Don't get in an argument about the language. Understand the cause and the pain. Not only do we need to speak about God's image, we need to speak about gospel reconciliation. See, Jesus died to reconcile all people to himself and beloved and one another. This means that the things that we do and the, the, the speech that we say has this goal of unity. That is one of the things Jesus prayed before he died. I pray that those who would hear about me will be unified just as you and me are unified. This is the goal of Jesus. So we speak to that end. And beloved, we speak about biblical justice. The Bible calls for equitable scales and the right use of authority. When I say equitable scales, I'm saying that everybody has the same rights under the law. And not only the same rights, but the execution of the law has to be equal to everybody. And so the Bible says that, therefore we say it. When the Bible talks about biblical justice, it's talking about caring for those in need. I want you to understand, it's not just saying, hey, people over there who need help, you should fix yourselves. It's saying, how can we help you? Beloved, the way of the cross is the way of resisting evil. We resist the sin that rises up against us. We resist the temptations and accusations of the devil. And we resist the world. What I mean by the world is the values that are against Scripture and the social structures that enforce the values that are against Scripture. Beloved, we resist evil. I want to leave you with this this final word of encouragement. It is a statement that has been said for 2,000 years. And beloved, the word of encouragement is this. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Jesus is Lord right now and is in control right now. Though, though everything seems shaky and things seem like they're about to topple, but I want you to know there is a seat in heaven that will never topple. And the one who sits on it is the one who is in control and driving history towards his intended goal. I will say that Jesus is Lord right now and wants to express his rule through his church. Beloved, his church is spread throughout all sectors of society. And what I want you to think about is when you go to work and when you're at home and when you are in your hobby, I want you to ask the question, if Jesus is Lord over me right now, what does that require of me in this situation?
And beloved, Jesus is Lord, and he will return to set everything right. We have an eternal hope that is sure that justice and righteousness will reign in the earth because our Lord Jesus will come back and up in every sin, defeat the enemy, and set the world's cultural value system to be the kingdom of God's value system. That's our hope. That's what we long for. That's what we look for. And because we have that hope and we know it's sure, we can remain confident in this moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, how valuable it is, how applicable it is. Lord, I pray that we will be people of your word, that we'll be people led by the Spirit, and that we would be people who would declare and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. In your name, amen. Amen.